Right, I'm risking something here at this present moment in time by showing you the first picture. Okay? This is back in 1986. Yeah, exactly. I'm one of those kids in that group there. Now, the setting of this is how many of you played Capture the Flag? Yeah, see, it's a brilliant game, but we've taken it to a whole new level here. Okay? This is northern Nigeria. Okay? So instead of just having a small area where you played capture the flag, each team had about two or three square kilometers of area to play it in. Okay? That was my team. Okay? See that area at the top there, on the other side? That was the area of the other team. So before we get into the rules of those who are not aware of the game of capture the flag, just think about this for a second. As a safeguarding manager, this causes all kinds of problems for me. But what kind of hazards have we got here? Bearing in mind, we are just south of the Saharan Desert. Okay? What kind of hazards? Anybody hazard a guess? Ah, exactly. These kind of risk assessments is even going to make Paddy worry about things. So what kind of things are we going to encounter here? Pardon? Heat stroke. Heat stroke, what is it? Ah, nighttime is when you play it. So, okay, so we, we can worry, we don't have to worry about that. Nighttime, yeah? Sorry? Snakes. Snakes, yeah, exactly. So the school got together and said, this is no joke, okay, we have a problem here. Snakes, yeah? How do we risk assess against the possibility of encountering a snake? Yeah? Or getting bitten? Yeah? Simple. They made a rule. You're not allowed to get bitten by a snake. <laughs> okay? Therefore, if you get bitten by a snake, you've broken the rule. That's your problem. Yeah? <laughs> Any other problems? Falling down cliffs. Falling down cliffs. Yeah, exactly. Right? So there, there's a ravine. It's not very clear. <laughs> down the bottom there. The, the boundary line is in that ravine. Okay? So if you want to get on the other side, you've got to get down there and up again. Okay? Number Second rule. Yes? We're getting the idea here. You're not allowed to get hurt. <laughs> I, I'm being serious here. Not allowed to get hurt. This is, this is risk assessments done missionary style in the 1980s. Okay? Anything else? We've got snakes. Getting lost. Getting lost. Yeah. They didn't, I didn't ever think they ever got to that point. They never got worried about that. That is a good one. Yes. <laughs> Anyone else? Any ideas? We've got snakes. I'm going to tell you another one. Scorpions. Yeah, scorpions hurt. They really do hurt. They're not going to kill you, but they'll hurt. Yeah, so they made another rule. Yeah? You're not allowed to get stung by a scorpion. Okay. Now, so we got this idea, and the last one was that you weren't allowed to encounter carnivorous animals. <laughs> okay. Now that we've got those rules out of the way, everyone has the idea about capture the flag. Capture the flag is, of course, you've got to find the, the flag belonging to the other team. They hide it on their area. You hide yours. Ours was hidden in one of those trees behind us there. Okay. You've got to find the other team's flag. Now, in order to do that, you've got to cross that boundary line and get into their territory. While you're in your territory, you're safe. Nothing's going to happen to you. You can stay right where you are and nothing's going to happen. The minute you cross over that line to find their flag, 
That's when you're in danger. Because the minute they tag you, of course, you go to prison. That was our prison, just beside our white van. Okay? And that's the key that I want to get out of this, this sermon today. Is that in order to achieve the goal that you're supposed to do in the game of capture the flag, you've got to cross over a line that is going to be dangerous. You're going to have to cross over something, and the likelihood is you might get caught. But unless you cross over that line, you're never going to win. You're never going to achieve that. Can I have the second picture? (coughs) Right. Now, peace right now is something that if we look around, if we are honest with ourselves, the petrol tank of peace is pretty low. Okay? That gauge is coming closer to the red line. Okay? We watch our news. Okay? So this picture is something that I absolutely love. I genuinely love this picture. Because four years before this was taken, this is 1993, four years before this was taken, there was five of us friends sitting on a wall. One Lebanese Shiite, one Lebanese Sunni. Two Americans and me. I'm sort of Nigerian English. And the advantage of learning and knowing Arabic is that you can swear, don't do this in school, you can swear and the teachers don't know what you're saying. And Fadi said, well, he started swearing in Arabic. And I turned to him and I said, Fadi, are you all right? And he said to me, Steve, I just had a thought. If I was back at home now, Lebanon, I'd have to kill you guys. Okay? He said, I'll have to kill you guys. And we were friends. And we still are to this day. So this picture right here is a particularly powerful picture for me. Okay? The gentleman on the left, on the end there, Yitzhak Rabin. Of course, we all know Bill Clinton and Yasser Arafat. Yasser Arafat was the head of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the predecessor or those around Hamas or Isbullah, the sworn enemies of Israel. Yitzhak Rabin was the prime minister of Israel. Okay? This war that we've now encountering today hasn't just started, it's been going on for centuries. Well, decades. Now, of those three, only one is alive today. And that, of course, is Bill Clinton. Yasser Arafat died of natural causes in a French hospital. But Yasser Rabin was killed. He was assassinated. He wasn't assassinated by an angry Arab or Muslim or a Palestinian who felt disgruntled. He was assassinated by a Jew. And why? Because of that handshake. That is why he was assassinated. That's, that's the core. Because he dared to reach out. Okay? He dared to reach out of his comfort zone. Now, going to the passage that we have today, going to the Israelites, okay, let's give a bit of a context to this. The Israelites themselves at the time were a country that was ravished, okay? 
Think of the context of war that they had to face. Think of the Babylonians, the Syrians, who had come and ravished their country, who had taken away their, the, the wealth of their nation, who had taken away the brains of the nation, who had destroyed families. Think of a nation that is in rubble. Think of orphans, think of widows. And you know what? The petrol tank of peace was pretty low. That gauge was getting close to the red line. So you have the context of this passage coming in. And then you have Isaiah coming in with this wonderful passage saying, you know what, someday there's going to be a time when all nations are going to be coming towards here. And instead of bringing guns, and I'm using the deliberate modern term, guns and tanks, they're coming to a mountain. They're coming to the mountain to worship God. Instead of fearing people because they're coming towards you in battle, they're coming here to destroy your land. There is going to be a time when they are coming and saying, let's go to where God is. And it's deliberate. There is the temple on the mountain. There's a road going towards that. Now, for those of you who were astute a few weeks ago, Paddy looked, quickly looked at the issue of peace. Can I have the next slide? Okay. These came up. Okay? In the New Testament, there are at least five different ways of d- interpreting peace. Okay? Peace as the absence of war or chaos. Peace as the right relationship with God or Christ. Peace as a good relationship among people. Peace as an individual virtue or state that is tranquility and serenity. Peace as a part of greeting formula. Okay. So that's a, sort of a New Testament idea of what peace actually means. However, because today's sermon is about pursuing, I'm going to ask you just for a couple of minutes where you are to talk to people and find out what's your definition of the word pursue. What do you define pursue as? I'm, I'm going to gather that the less of the hum is people come up with ideas. Anybody got any ideas what pursue actually means in their groups? Yeah. To follow something. To follow something. I'll, I'll shout it out. To follow something. To chase after. To, to chase after, yeah. It's a bit more than just following. It's like you're following someone with the intent to capture it. Yeah. You, you want to bust through obstacles. You know, it's like why they want to apprehend a criminal or, yeah. you know, it, it's like, it's like I've got to get there. Yeah. I, I, I need to really, like, you know, a bit of effort, a bit yeah. focus. Yeah. Okay. Excellent, I like that one. To go after something with urgency. Yeah? To be relentless. I like that one. To be relentless. I like it. Yeah. Anything else? Determination. 
determination to get something. Okay. Before I became a safeguarding manager, I was in the police. And I used to be a pursuit officer at times. We would, uh, to be a pursuit officer is that you've got to go at high speed and you've got to go and get, you're usually in a car, in fact you're always in a car, and you are just absolutely going hell for leather, you're chasing somebody, you're going after somebody. Okay? You get trained for hours and hours and hours and hours on how to safely do so. But your intent is you've got to get that person or that car or that group. You've got to stop. Okay? You're not allowed to do anything until the control room tells you to stop. Okay. So it's, I want you to keep that in mind. Except for those of you in the room who think this is going to be, it, Christianity is something of a safe place, it isn't. Okay? Because to pursue means to be relentless. To pursue something means that you've got to make it at the heart of what you are going to be doing. And this passage, as wonderful as it is, because it's telling you of that, there's something else that's going on here. And I love this part where it talks about they will beat the swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That is an active process. Now, I'm going to put this into the context of where we are now because Jesus himself said the kingdom of God is here. He was here. He is the prince of peace. He is the author of peace. Therefore, this beautiful picture isn't just something about heaven. It's something about now. Because Christ has come. And to pursue is going to be dangerous. Okay? And it's going to be scary. I kind of like that passage because it doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to find you another iron mine. Or you're going to find extra resources. It says you're going to knock your swords and make them into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Hey, guys, that means that the less swords you have, the less protection you have. The less spears you have, the less protection you have. If you, we are honestly seeking peace, we are creating a level of vulnerability. Now, in a situation in that picture before, Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat were determined to create a level of vulnerability. Don't forget that the PLO were trying to kill the Israeli, the Jew, and the Jew was trying to kill the PLO. So to cross over a line and recognize the other person with a handshake, yeah, peace as a part of a greeting formula, they were crossing a line that was making them vulnerable. And not even a prime minister of a country was able to withstand a bullet. Okay? That makes us vulnerable. 
Because the less shields we have, the less swords we have, the more vulnerable we are. But God is calling us to that. Because don't forget, and this is one of those wonderful things about Scripture, is that God, from the very, very beginning, from the moment he created us, was seeking peace. When, don't forget that if we believe in a God that be- knows everything, that the moment he started the process of creating humanity, he knew that he would have to walk this earth and die. So from the minute he dreamt the idea of humanity, he was dreaming the idea of peace. Christ then had to pursue that peace. Okay, In the most vulnerable way, Christ went over that line of capture the flag. He didn't, there was no risk assessment. Well, there was. And the risk assessment said there was going to be a cross at the end of it. So that is a pursuit of however long it took Christ, God to create the world. However long it was that humanity was the dreaming of God. That pursuing of peace has been at the very core of it. This right here, my friends, is what we as a church need to start thinking about. Right there. This is a biblical definition of it. And yes, it would be lovely. I can imagine most people in this world want to have an individual state that is tranquil and serene. I don't imagine many people who aren't in that state. They are willing to take different parts of that, but God's given us all of that. We can't pick and choose what parts of peace that we want. And each of us in that whole thing, we cannot extrapolate love and forgiveness from the whole concept of peace. Yes, we have got to pray. Now, you know one of the encouraging things about being from an international background is that I get messages from people. And you know what? About three or four weeks ago, there was an association of Jews and Arabs who met in a spirit of reconciliation. They, they couldn't fill the hole that they were supposed to be filling in. Never going to meet the news. Yeah? 700 Jews and Arabs got together in protest and in recognition of each other. Wouldn't it have been brilliant in that whole meeting if they could actually have the right relationship with God in there as well? So there are that roots of peace going on, and that's what we're supposed to be part of. That reaching out in love because it's going to make us vulnerable. We all have our Hamases. We all have our Israeli defense forces that we are going to have to reach over and shake the hands of. But that's what we're called to do. Yeah? We're going to be crossing a line knowing full well that if we want that desire of peace where everyone comes to the mountain, as that chapter says, then it requires an action. And we are part of that. I'm going to leave you with something. And I, at this present moment in time, have to reluctantly accept that C.S. Lewis is a better writer than me. Okay, I love his work. For those of you who 
Nomi will know his work. Yeah? But this is the words, and I'm going to read them on to you. They're going to come up on the screen in a second. There is no safe investment. Use the word peace and love together in this. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket of your coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, the alternative to tragedy or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perpetrations of love is hell. That's a stark reality. Now, in my life, there have people who have reached out in 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 their vulnerability in peace when I have done wrong. Okay, And I am forever thankful for that. And God has reached out and touched me when I have done wrong and brought peace. So therefore, friends, we must do the same. Otherwise, we live in hell. 